After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. I'm the smirking John Manuel. He's J.J. Cooper. He talks better. It sounds normal when J.J. smirks when he talks. We've got a lot of baseball to talk. Much. Yeah, I'm kind of unfortunately a smirker. We're, we're talking uh, you know, a lot of baseball. We'll talk about our minor league player of the year choice if you want to redo, rehash that. We probably talked enough about that, but we'll talk about oh, September call-ups and, of course, the major league pennant race. So, uh, as usual, if you want to participate in the podcast, uh, any podcast, hit us up on Twitter at Baseball America, at JJCoop36, at John Manuel BA. JJ, uh, you know, to me, this is the natural place to start with you, since you, you've even been asked by some of your readers on Twitter to split your tweets into a football stream and a baseball stream, and fantasy football. St- fantasy football starts tonight, as does the real National Football League. Actually, I think less people. You know, I think more people are interested in the fact that fantasy Absolutely. football than the actual. Absolutely, I think they are. I'm one of the rare ones who actually cares more about the actual wins and losses. You don't even play fantasy football anymore. No. We, we've don't tried to rope time. you into a league, and, and it hasn't time. happened. But the main question I have here is: This is a thrilling September, and you know, baseball. St- it feels like, from a national media perspective. Baseball holds its own in September, if not toward the end of the month and into October, having an equal footing, if not even overshadowing the NFL at some times, which is pretty tricky to do considering how all the national media wants to tell you that football owns America. But it feels like baseball, and I feel like the wild card and the second wild card is helping baseball because this year's pennant races involve more teams, and it just seems like by chance – Baseball has really big-time pennant races this year, and I know I'm in baseball world, but it definitely feels like there's as much anticipation for September pennant races as I can remember in recent years, and I think the second wild card is a reason for that. I think second wild card. I think also just the fact that you have some teams, it's not, it doesn't feel old hat in any way, shape, or form. Some of the teams that are involved in this, you know, we're going to talk about the Orioles. You can't remember there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who could not really remember oh, yeah. saying the Orioles, who look like they have a legitimate chance to, to win the AL East. I, I can't the last, the last time the Orioles were good, CompuServe mattered. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a long time ago. I mean, that, so that, that's as good a place to start as any because that market <laughs> is a place, J.J., that to me where you have a winning Washington team for the first time since I think 1969 – they're going to finish above 500. It was the last Senators team that and finished above 500. this team's going to finish well, well this above team 500. It. This team's clinched it with its 82nd win the other day. Uh, so you don't have to point back to the Levon Hernandez-fueled 2005 Nats uh, their first year where they went 81 and 81. Um, but the, the Nats have already clinched a, a, you know, a 500 re- or better record. And as we record this, the Orioles are stunningly in first place. They're mainly uh, tied for first place, but first place. Sure, yeah, well, yeah it's a, tied for first place with the Yankees and surging. Uh, they've won, I think, 21 of their last 31, and even in that in that stretch, their Pythag record would be 19 and 12. So they're not incredibly lucky in that last month or so. They're just sort of lucky. Um, what do you think is the bigger story that the Nationals have the best record in baseball, or the Orioles are contending? The Orioles contending, I think, is a bigger story because it's a more surprising story. The Nationals, if you just if you'd have told us in March, hey, you know what, the Nationals are battling for the best record in baseball. How did that happen? Right. We could, I think, map it out, and it'd probably be pretty close to what they've done. It's like, well, the pitching is probably among the best in the majors. Um, Strasburg had a really good year. Probably wouldn't talk about them <laughs> shutting him down, but right. you know, Bryce Harper came up and, and provided a nice boost. Right. There'd be a lot of things like that. 
If you just it, wouldn't said, be a, it wouldn't have been a total stunner, I agree. If you just said, hey, the Orioles are in first place in the AL East in September, describe how that happened, how that has going to happen. I'd have, it would have been like, him. okay, um, I guess every one of their one-time really good prospects who struggled in the big leagues makes that jump forward, and Buck Showalter makes a big impact, and i got to think of two or three more things I can't think of. You would never have anticipated that if they were contending in September, it would have been with Jake Arrieta, their opening day starter, having a six-whatever ERA and having been in Norfolk in August here against Durham, or Brian Mattis pitching out of the bullpen. The, the, the best part about that was is there was no way I would imagine it said, but you know what? They really overcame the crushing loss of Jason Hamill. That's like right. that, That's that right. would not have been part of it. I go, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Jason Hamill, clearly staff ace. Yeah, if you can overcome a loss like that, <laughs> you can overcome anything. Would not have been something I'd have seen coming. The the crazy thing with Baltimore is, it feels like, especially if Chris Tillman's latest, uh, and, he, oh, and he's hurt now, which I'm not sure exactly how serious that is. But the last I read, didn't seem like it was. Uh, too serious. He might miss a start, but you're looking at a playoff series. What, who who is the Orioles' number one? Would it be Wei Yin Chen if they made the playoffs? If you're in a one-game playoff, I have Would to imagine. Would it be Jason Hamill who's make make it back? I have to imagine if he makes it back. And Hamill, and if Hamill, he makes it back healthy, it's Hamill. And Hamill's last start uh, in Frederick, I believe it was five scoreless innings and a rehab start. Threw the ball well. Um, obviously, expecting to do well. I mean, Tommy Hunter. Went to double A and threw a complete game two hitter with less than 90 pitches. So, if you can pitch to the major leagues, you should make double A and A ball look easy. It sounds like Hamill threw well, that his velocity was good, uh, the quality of his stuff was good. I would imagine it would be Hamill if they had a playoff series rotation. It would be Hamill, Chen, Tillman, Miguel Gonzalez. I, mean, I guess I probably actually would leave Tillman out and put in Zach Britton. Zach Britton's last two starts have been pretty good. It's I, odd I, they're I doing this, J.J., with really Zach Britton and Chris Tillman being the only two of their homegrown guys who've kind of come through for them. I can't explain how they're doing this. I mean, that that's the best way to put it, is if you said, okay, hey, the Orioles are doing this, and by the way, Nate McLeod is going to play on a pretty regular basis. Lou and, Ford and hit is, three holes sometimes for Lou you. Lou Ford is going to be a, uh, a, you know, a contributor on this team. Lou Ford, we only remember from the Batgirl Twins uh, song. That's that's where she lives oh, on. Where's uh, our place for I can't Lou? Who? Yeah, we we love Batgirl. <laughs> we we enjoyed that. Was, that that was we watched that thing in the Baseball America offices many and many thousands of times. Yeah, uh, Justin Morneau. Uh, I watched it last month. Justin Morneau <laughs> pining for Corey Kosky was tremendous, as was Terry Mulholland being aged and tripping on. Uh, Joe and Carlos Bowers, Silva uh, wondering where Blanco was. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> <Dundesta> Blanco. <laughs> I forgot about that one. That was awesome. I mean, the way they're doing this, JJ, uh, the Orioles, that is, is they have uh, a mix. Uh, they have a different offense. They have a right fielder who hits like a center fielder in Marcakis. They have a center fielder who has corner power in Adam Jones. Uh, they have a lot of swing and miss kind of uh, home run, all or nothing home run guys, whether it's their shortstop or their first baseman DH or their other first baseman DH or, to a lesser extent, their catcher. And they have they a great have a bullpen. Power, and they have a and great that, bullpen. That's, that's, that's the kicker. But they're fourth in the American League in home runs. So even though, over, so even though they aren't a tremendous offensive team, they're, they're kind of in the middle of the American League, actually a little bit below but, the middle in, in, in run score. But they, they do have, you know, they have the home, they, they can hit home runs up and down their lineup. They have a very good bullpen, and I do think uh, Buck Showalter, the way he's managed the team and the way they've managed their roster and maximized their roster, has been pretty impressive. And even Manny Machado has given them a nice spark. I don't think any of us thought that he would be a big leaguer this year and contributing in a pennant race this year, but he has given them a nice spark. It's kind of almost gotten overlooked in the Trout, Harper, and now in the last weekend, Jerickson Provar, which we're talking but about. We've well. talked about this in the office. The, the key thing with the Orioles team is, is that I don't think that either of us expect – we didn't expect them to be here. I don't think you ever expect them that this is a team that's going to make a lot of noise in the playoffs if they make it there. But who cares? If yeah, you're exactly. an Orioles fan, yeah. this is – you've been dreaming of this for a long, long time. You enjoy this. It does not matter if you say – well, I don't know if this team's a team that's really constructed to do the same thing in 2013. Who don't cares? care. That's right. You do can't not l- care. Yeah, you, at this point, you really can't lament. Boy, what might have been with Brian Mattis or 
you know, are we ever going to really get anything? Uh, you know, what's the real Zach Britton? You don't, you just don't care from one start this to the next. I didn't even mention Joe Saunders. Can, this, they picked up. I mean, maybe he's a playoff starter, but who, who cares? This is a season you can enjoy. This is a year this that is Joe not, Saunders. I love the reading about Joe Saunders. I mean, this is a guy who was a fifth-round pick out of high school, I think, in 1999, and talked about growing up an Orioles fan. And in, for most of his high school career and his, uh, you know, his youth, the Orioles were good. They right. were very good. And now he's wearing an Orioles uniform. It took that long for him to be an Oriole and to be back in a pennant race. So I think they're a neat story. Um, and I, I definitely think that uh, it's amazing to me that Dan Duquette, as their general manager, has helped orchestrate this. But I think most of the credit goes to, to show Walter. But you still have to. You know what? But he. But I think Dan Duquette has to. I mean, the Miguel Gonzalez pickup, the way they've manipulated their major league roster. I think all those things have worked very well, and I think Duquette deserves uh, some credit for it. So, and and I think now here's the, the I guess the, the question I'll I'll pull off of that is okay. We don't think the Orioles are the best team in this three team race for the AL East title. I, I don't think anyone really right. does. Again, who cares? They're as they're constructed they're right now, though. I think they are. They're better than what their Pythag record looks like. Oh, I certainly. think so too, and I don't think. They're, they have an explanation again. If you have a really good bullpen, that can help explain how you can have. Certainly. It doesn't explain everyone win because they win every one run game they're in. Right. It seems like, but it does explain why you win more than you should. That's that can explain that somewhat. Well, a lot of those starting pitchers that we just named, who maybe not be all that special, are better than Freddie Garcia, or on any given day, that, are better or as good as Phil Hughes. I mean, that's the bigger issue. Is the Yankees are. That's I've, the I've thing I was gonna, that was the thing I was going to ask you next is, looking at that Yankees team right now, I watched that Rays game last night, and whew, it just is a reminder. Again, it seems like I've been saying this for a couple of years now, but you like look at that, you look at the Rays in September, and the Rays always seem like right. they're always playing their best baseball of the season in they September. Always seem to have fresh legs. And you know. the Yankees always, not always, but there seems like there's been a lot of years lately where the Yankees are kind of, Limping into September, which makes some sense. It's a 162-game season. Right. If you're older, it's tougher. And Alex think, Cobb yeah. got a little more in the tank than Freddie Garcia does at this time of the year. I think the Yankees really, you know, first off, the fact that the Yankees had a 10-game lead in July without Mariano Rivera and with A-Rod banged up, I thought was pretty amazing. You know, I, I thought that was pretty stunning that they were able to pull that far ahead of the field. Agreed. Now, Now, you know, Derek Jeter is having a great year. I saw Jonah Carey noted this on Grantland. You know, yeah, he's first in the major, in the major leagues and or first in the American League in hits. He's also third in outs. You know, let's just you do have to put the bad with the good. Derek Jeter had a great year though, um, but really to me their offense seems like it goes as Swisher and Granderson go. And right now those guys are in a funk. They're without Teixeira. I think they miss Brett Gardner, who always I think oh, brought. I think- Spunk and life, a but, spark and life to their lineup, but and gave them gives another them, way to score runs. I was going to say, gave them some kind of different dimension because now they are. A Rod the, leads their team in steals this year. That's amazing. They <laughs> are Evan. the true king of get on base and hope to hit a homer. Yeah, when you when you replace Gardner in the lineup with Abanez, you're losing. I mean, who's you know, kind <laughs> of their everyday left fielder? You know, plays a lot of left field for them. You, you, the defense drop off is enormous. You're just a different kind of team. So, I mean, well, well, uh, to, to, to me, they're they're starting pitching. They, they miss Nova. You know, although I know Ivan Nova's kind of been unlucky this year. Um, he's given up a lot of home runs, and their bullpen is fine. But just as, obviously, it's not as deep as it was last year when you had Rivera preceded by Soriano and Robertson. Obviously, they they take that hit. So I think the injuries and the age are the two things that have caught up with them the most. The, the two most telling – a telling stat to me from them, if you look at their lineup, you look at their lineup including the bench, Russell Martin and Robinson Cano are the only two guys who yeah, are contributing at all who are not 30. And when you tell me that Russell Martin is the young legs of a, uh, you know, of, of a team, you know, he's the youth, Russ Martin doesn't seem – he seems right. old to me. I mean, right. that, does, that doesn't strike me as – that's what really jumps out to me is, is that and you compare that to, say, the Rays, where the Rays don't have a whole lot of guys on the other side of 30 contributing. It still is strange to me that the Rays haven't quite gotten this one giant hot streak. I keep expecting them to be the kind of team that, with their starting pitching, that would run off eight, nine, ten wins in a row um, and pull it to the front of this, and they just haven't quite been able to do that. But you think there's a chance, J.J., that the Yankees don't make the playoffs? I mean, 
are they that banged up that both they could be passed by both either Baltimore or Tampa and some other wild card two other wild card teams because I mean the the Tigers or the Angels and the A's the A's aren't going anywhere. Is it possible the Yankees and Red Sox missed the playoffs for the first time since 1993? I don't think so. I think the Yankees will make the playoffs, but right now I don't think they're going to win the division. It doesn't feel like there's one team in the American League besides the Rangers that you can point to and say they are they they have very few flaws. I mean, the Rangers seem like they have by far the fewest weaknesses of any of these American League teams. And the thing that jumps out is is the Rangers. I mean, we'll. We'll talk a little bit more about call-ups later, but Jerks and Profar, well, that's a nice piece to just bring up. And, oh, okay, hey, you know, we need to give a guy a day. Okay, well, let's just put the best prospect in baseball into the game. And let's talk about Jerks and Profar. That's more fun than talking about old guys. Because that first Major League home run was just, it looked like he was back in the Futures game. Yeah. The, his wrists are just... Uh, that's the thing that's amazing is that he has power now, and we talked about this before, but... He has power, and it is Easy. all bat speed. It is no, it is not strength in the swing. It is bat speed because he doesn't have man strength yet. He's still a teenager. I mean, he, he, he's he's lanky. He's wiry, but yeah. you don't have to have big muscles to hit homers if you have amazing bat speed. You have whip in the bat. He has whip in the bat. He's whippy. He looks more like, I mean, he's more like a 1970s power hitter than a 1990s or aughts power hitter that we're more used to. I mean, it's not like there haven't been skinnier, whippy guys, but I mean, I'm thinking of like Jason Hayward, but you see the, you see the leverage but in Jason, Jason Hayward. But Jason Hayward, Jason Hayward. He's 6'5". Yeah, I was going to say. I'm just thinking of tall, lanky, skinny guys. But I even Hayward. Of, but and George Profar is 5'10". Right, I was going to say, because even Hayward, even the year he came up, I mean, he was a lot skinnier then. He's, I mean, now Hayward's just a massive, massive human. Yeah, but, he's enormous now. Not but, in a bad way. But even when he came up, you were already talking then about, wow, look at this massive. Yeah, I mean, I think the line I used that uh, 2010 Futures game was, I didn't feel like, or maybe it was 09, I didn't feel like me and Mike Stanton at that time, now John Carlos Stanton, and Jason Hayward, there was no proof that you could offer me that we were the same species. <laughs> because those two guys were on a completely different level physically. Just seeing those guys in the dugout and looking at them and shaking hands with them and talking with them and realizing that they were, um, you know, superior, <laughs> you know, I felt like those, <laughs> those, a little bit, they got a little those guys were you. like, they'd come over on the Botany Bay. There's a Star Trek reference for you. Those guys were like, you know, had been like genetically engineered like Khan. They were superhumans, and I didn't feel like I deserved to be in the same conversation with them. But the thing with Profar is, is to add a guy like that, they've added a Mike, they've added Mike Holt, you right. know, also this year. Just Hard to find right-handed power. Oh, we have some spare right-handed power in the minor leagues. And and that's what stands out to me. I, I kind of figure that there's a pretty good chance that Jerks and Profar, uh, you know, is going to be on the postseason roster. He's probably a little too bad. Depending on how he does this month, but I think this is an audition to give him a shot. It feels like their biggest question is, you know, getting their starting pitching straightened out. Matt Harrison slumped a little bit lately. Uh, I think he slumped the last a little bit more than a little bit. Um, just figuring out roles for their guys throughout their lineup, their pitching staff, and then even, you know, I think, J.J., the big question for them is going to be, you get to the postseason, what do you do with Michael Young? And where does that guy play? Sir feels like, you know, Wash is going to have Michael Young in the lineup, probably hitting five-hole or two-hole yes, or somewhere and, significant. And, and that doesn't seem like a great idea. Not anymore. So, But outside of those, we're, you have to nitpick, though, at Texas, you look at the other teams. You look at Oakland. You're like, wow. I know Oakland can really pitch, but what is that lineup? Or if Brandon Moss has 16 home runs. Is that really going to continue? Or you look at the Angels and you say, well, that bullpen's a catastrophe. You know, hard to see them overcoming these right, things. I, I think or Detroit's defense, or the White Sox. Just overall, I think you know, the Rangers are, you know, the, definitely the team to beat in the AL. You, you flip it to the NL, and it's it's fascinating. Uh, I think, but I do think you. I think we agree that the Reds and even the Strasburgless Nationals are, are probably a notch above uh, the other anyone teams. Else. I agree. I think the Reds get a to, uh, to me a pretty decent edge over the Nationals because the Strasburg thing. You just can't tell me that's not going to affect their clubhouse. I just don't see, and I'm also a little bit worried. I think Nationals fans are too about Jordan Zimmerman and his last start or two, not as sharp pitching through some fatigue, really the first time he's pitching through fatigue in games that matter. 
And I tell you, I frankly worry about their bullpen. It's performed outstandingly this year. Former BA uh, prospect, cause celeb, uh, Tyler Clippard. He certainly had a better career than I think that we probably thought for him. I don't think we thought he'd be a lockdown closer no. on the team with the best record in the National League. I don't think the Yankees thought he would be a lockdown closer on the best team. That said, I don't think the Nationals think he is. He's he struggled I'll at times this, down the stretch here. Clearly, I'll say this. He's been very good. If you're comparing Reds and Nationals and say which team believes in their closer more, well, yeah, no one <laughs> believes in their closer more than, That's I, right. than the guy who has more saves than hits allowed. The bullpen is one big separator. I, you know, at the top of the rotation without Zimmerman, I mean, without Strasburg, Gio and Zimmerman versus uh, Matt Latos and uh, Johnny, Johnny Cueto. Cueto, that's pretty tough. With Strasburg, it's easy. The Nationals are the better rotation. Without him, it's kind of a push for but me. Did, I think the, if the Nationals have an advantage there, which is crazy because you're saying it's without Strasburg, but if they have an advantage, it's that they're deeper. And they are deeper. They are still deeper. I mean, Edwin Jackson is – you'd rather have Edwin Jackson be your four, but I think he's a solid three on a playoff team, especially the way he's pitched this year. And I think Ross Detweiler is perfectly serviceable as a fourth starter in a playoff series, especially if, you know, depending on the matchup. A team with a lot of left-handers. He throws hard for a left-hander. He was a first-round pick. He's got pedigree. He's had success this year. And there's no – you know, I'd rather have him than, say, Homer Bailey or right now. Or Bronson Arroyo, who, you know, one of those guys is going to pitch game three. Right. Exactly. So, from a depth standpoint, even without Strasburg, I agree, the Nats have, a, have an advantage there. The surprising thing to me, J.J., you would know this better. You've done our Reds prospect list. You were shouting from the ramparts a couple of years ago that Todd Frazier was an everyday starter on a playoff team. You loved, you loved yeah, he's not now. It's the, right now, <laughs> now he's about to be. Now he's about, he's about to, to be, be a great utility player. What do you think they're going to do? Do you think they're just going to put – are they going to park – is Dusty really going to park Todd Frazier on his bench? I think, well – Joey Votto's not going to be 100% until next year, he says. His knee's just not going to be 100%. So September, it's going to be one thing. September, it's going to be Frazier starts a game at first, then he starts a game at third, then he may get a game in left. You know, so let's say he plays, he may play four out of seven games just because he gives Votto two days off. Right. And Ryan Love is going to have a sick strat card this year. <laughs> then you go to the playoffs, and it gets a whole lot tougher because in the playoffs, you're not sitting Joey Votto for a game so that he can rest his knee. It might DH him in that game. In but you've got to get to the World Series in for that. Series. I was going to say, but you know, there's a lot of playoffs nowadays before you get to there. There are. And in that case, uh, the, the real problem for him is, is there's not a whole lot of guys you're going to put. You, know, you can't really platoon him and Scott Rowland. I guess you could if you platoon those two. It's going to be a really advanced platoon. It's going to be some sort of, hey, we've noticed that Roland is better against guys who throw inside. And, right. You know, this guy really throws inside. So Roland's going to – it's going to be a whole lot tougher. It seems like at that point Todd Frazier is going to be the best guy off the bench in baseball. But That's how it feels like it's going. Um, I don't know what they can do short of just benching Scott Roland. But, and Todd Frazier has more value as a reserve. And Scott Rowland does. Because I'd rather have him on the bench as a reserve because of his versatility. And I mean, and I mean I've, I have criticized the Reds for many a year on they needed to give Todd Frazier a position, let him settle into it, and then just move him along. And they they basically have never done that. Right. One advantage of that is you wouldn't want him to play second base in a playoff game, but hey, if it went 13 innings and all of a sudden you had to, right? he could do it. He's done it. It's not something where you're asking him to do something he's not done. If you told him, you know, if something happened to Zach Cozart in a playoff game, it's like, uh-oh, we got to put, Co- you know, Frazier. He'd be happy to go out there short stuff. That's my natural position. It's crazy, but it just might work. Uh, that's, and that's what you're saying. If you played him in any of those spots, really anywhere but center field or a catcher would be completely, those are the only spots that would be completely beyond the pale. Right, and he's done it as far as everywhere else, which is just kind of crazy. But that is crazy. Who, who is the besides the Nationals and Reds? Who are the team? Is there a team in the National League that you say, you know, I think that you have to watch out for them. I wouldn't be shocked to see them in the World Series. I still think that of San Francisco. I mean, just because they're pitching, but I, I like their lineup all right, even without Melky Cabrera. I mean, it's not great. It stuns me that Joaquin Arias. Talk about another ghost of prospects past. Joaquin Arias, who was uh, traded for A-Rod, what, nine years ago now? Ten years ago? Is it only ago? nine? I think it was going to say ten. Ten years ago? Um, how old is Joaquin Arias now? He's still probably not 30. 
that guy plays a lot. He's 27. He plays a lot. He, he, he's he been a contributor in San Francisco. I'm not sure that Bruce Bochy is the guy who you necessarily want with a 25-man roster only because uh, he's going to construct the playoff roster kind of weird. And we'll see what Aubrey Huff, if he has anything left in the tank, now that he's off the DL. It feels like he's just a pinch hitter only. Uh, I would hope they wouldn't bench Brandon Belt. I think Brandon Belt finally is. I think he finally has a, a regular uh, spot in the lineup. But it does feel like um, between well, between Belt, obviously Posey, Panda, to a lesser extent, guys like Angel Pagan, they've settled on a decent lineup. They have a little bit more. They have more offense this year than they did in the 2010 years. And to me, their their postseason really rests on how does their bullpen perform. Uh, you know, they clearly are not afraid, even though Santiago Casilla leads their team and says they're not afraid to take him out in the middle of an inning. They're not afraid to have Javier Lopez close a game. They're not afraid to have Sergio Romo close a game. You know, I, from that standpoint, I like the fact that Bruce Bochy you know, gets hammered a lot for the way that he uh, jerks guys around in the lineup and that kind of stuff. But to me, the big, the most important thing you can do as a major league manager these days, besides manage your clubhouse and manage the egos, is manage a bullpen. Bruce Bochy knows how to manage a bullpen. I think he's shown that over the years that he can do that. So that team is still really dangerous, either, even without Brian Wilson, because of those aces, uh, Bumgarner and Kane. And if you just get either a Lincecum, uh, really, if you get Tim Lincecum to a you know modicum of what he used to be, if you get good 2012 Tim Lincecum, which is a decent six-inning starter, uh, they're going to be very dangerous. That's a team, the cra- that's a team that... Probably is more useful to have a four-man rotation, kind of no matter what the series, than others. Because not that you wouldn't want to send Kane back out there more f- frequently, but I, I do feel like with that, that at this point, Linscombe's a, probably a guy who a little bit extra rest right. may mean a big difference. Like if you can try to get starts where hey, he had six days, that might make a big difference for him. It would seem I'm, like it. I'm going to say the team though that that could. Could end up uh, beating out the Reds and the Nationals as the Braves. I don't think it'll happen. But one thing, they've got the hottest pitcher in, in baseball right now. It's crazy that Chris Medlin is that good. It is crazy. And they, the, it is crazy to say, hey, so the Braves going into the playoffs, starting pitching is really kind of the question. Don't worry, they got Chris Medlin. But right. you know, but after that, Tim Hudson, Hudson and the number – And, something that and pray for – uh, Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that rhymes with Medlin, sort of. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would not anticipate the Braves just for – for me, they just seem like they're just a different problem every day with the Braves. And right now, one of their bigger assets seems like it's been that Martin Prado is back to being – you know, he had this horrible year last year. Martin Prado is back to being Martin Prado, which means, you know, like Placido Polanco with a little more power, you know, who can peak value Placido Polanco who can play anywhere you want him to. Even shortstop sometimes, so they're getting Andrelton Simmons back. That's the and that key thing help. to me is, is that they but, get Andrelton Simmons back. But right now Prado's locked into second base. They've benched Dan Ugla. Prado's at second base. What are they going to? Sorry, are they going to put Dan Ugla back in there when when Chipper needs the inevitable days off, which he's going to need? Um, what's their everyday solution in left field? It just feels like Prado's versatility is so crucial to them, or it has been this year. If you lock him in there at second base, which you kind of have to do if you're benching Ugla. That takes away a weapon. Well, but you're not locking him in. You're saying, okay, now he's going to get four games out of five at second, and then if Chipper needs a day off, well, then here comes Juan here Francisco. Comes, here comes Juan, but, <laughs> or, or here comes Dan Ugla. You're not, you're not. You're not taking him off the roster. He's, no, but I mean, you're certainly not giving him a, a vote of confidence. You're not batting not the three hole. Not that he's not no. That he's it's like that's another one of those deals where you go, oh, it's okay. They only have wait, how many years are left on that contract? Oh <laughs> no, that's not good. I don't remember reading anything about the Braves putting Dan Ugla on waivers and hoping someone else claimed him, like we read about Joe Mauer or some of the other guys. JJ, I think one, that was one of those because it was like there was just known that there was no no one know, taking no one. Taking Tony Dan Regans Ugla? is not walking through that door. <laughs> Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. JJ, one other one I'm going to spring on you a little bit here. One other September big league thing I've noticed, and I've, I've seen it with the Astros. I've seen it with a couple of other clubs. It ties into the Strasburg discussion, this Chris Sale discussion. Six-man rotations. I mean, teams have given guys extra rest and had a spot starter in the past. But this September and August, th- this season seems like it's the most that I've seen 
We in got a four year, man and six we man. have four man in Colorado and six man in several rotations. It feels like. What's your take on the the four man in Colorado? First off, do you well, think that makes sense? I mean, the the it seems to have worked for them. Is the crazy thing up to now? They have a better record since they went to the four man. Their pitching has been better. Now you can argue they've also had to make some moves that maybe that led to that somewhat. But right, or that they, or that they were really just drastically underperforming before. Right, but. I think that because of that, they're actually they may carry this into next year. Sounds like that. that sounds like they're committed to carry that into next year, as long as they're committed to Jim Tracy as their manager, which at this point they are. Um, but that, I, I that think part, that's the part that's more befuddling. To I, me. I don't think that's something you're going to see a whole lot of copying going on anytime soon. You know, but I, the six man, if you're out of it, and this means hey, we're trying to. If you're out of it and you're trying to work in more starting pitchers because you figure that getting a couple of if you're if it's the difference between getting two guys starts and one guy start when you're evaluating, I, I have no problem with that from the standpoint. At this point, the Astros, the Astros are just saying, please tell us when October gets here. All mm-hmm. we're doing right now is evaluating for next year. What we're trying to find out is which of these guys has a chance to be on a team that matters, and which guys are like, okay, you know what, move along. Well, we have the Marlins with a six-man rotation. We have the Astros with a six-man rotation. The Blue Jays, I guess, have considered it. The but Braves have <laughs> used it at the, times. Could the Blue Jays actually have healthy six healthy guys? I was going to say, could the Blue Jays like we can't go to six-man rotation? We don't have six guys who can start. I mean, like the Astros. How do the Astros have six guys? But it's not that you start? have six guys who start. It's <laughs> that the, thing. the difference between that really what it comes down to is the difference between the number three guy and the number seven guy at this point isn't that much. How do you feel about the possibility of a major league team doing a six-man rotation over the course of a season? I think it depends on your makeup of your team. It makes. I can think of certain situations where it might make some sense. If you have a Japanese, if you're bringing in a Japanese starter, yeah. it might make some sense because that would be more along the lines of what they're used to. So that might be a way to acclimate them to the U.S. and the U.S. style because, okay, hey, this is a little closer to what you're used to. If you had a, a, you know, a late career John Smoltz or someone like that who you say, you know what? Right. We want good Smoltz. Your old Sunday doubleheader starter, the guy right. that were used twenty times a year, pitch Sundays, and that's right. it. You know what? We're gonna we want twenty twenty five good starts out of this guy. I could see that. And the thing with a six man, one of the things to to me to do that right, if you're gonna do that for a full season, is yeah. Which, you have math, a guy. The math adds up. You basically have six guys, twenty seven starts theoretically. But to me, you have a guy in that six who is – you have it with a fit five-man rotation now, but you really have a guy with that who you say, you know what, this is the guy who's occasionally – this is the guy who we're trying to either – he's old and we're preserving him so he's still good in October. <laughs> right. Or if you had a Strasburg and you wanted – you're aware you're going to be an innings limit, so this is the guy who we're going to protect. Right. Which would have made know more what? sense Here's an off day. You have an been... off day that week, you're on the five-man rotation that week. The sixth guy – you're going to throw a side session. Maybe you get an inning in a relief appearance. But right. you're not starting this time. We're skipping your turn. So this time that we're skipping you through, so you're going to throw a, a couple of innings in relief. Because the reality is, is that if you did this for a full season, you probably have, you hopefully have a starter or two that you want to make more than 27 starts. Well, here, we're going to do a six-man rotation. Our sixth guy will get 24, 25 starts. Our number one guy will get, 30, 31, 32. Yeah, to me, if you do that, that's that, – I mean, I'm not saying – I don't think you need – I think you only do that if it makes sense for your team. Like, it made sense for a very brief period of time for the Braves to do it because all they were doing was they were delaying the decision of right. what do we need to do, and then the decision was made for them. Right. I, I'm actually – I wouldn't say an advocate. I'm not there yet, but I'm I'm close to that. I especially think in the minor leagues, it makes more sense to have guys, especially in the lower minors, go on a six-man rotation instead of having – I would oh. try every minor league pitcher, I think, who had any chance of commanding the fastball enough to start, I would want to get them starts 
and I would not want to put them in the bullpen just because there's not enough room for, in the rotation, number one. And number two, most amateur pitchers, whether they're coming out of high school or college, they pitch once a week. And I would like to – I would think it's easier to adjust. Acclimate them to it. Exactly. From a once a week to a six-man rotation than it would be from that to a five-man rotation. So to me – that that makes sense at the lower levels of the minor league. I think it actually has some merit at the major league level too, JJ. And I, I just am saying that I, if I think my starting pitchers are better than my relief pitchers, you know, if I like my start, if I think these guys are can start 27 times in the major leagues, I'd rather have him pitch those 150, 160 innings. If I think they're going to be, you know, quality well, innings than have a bullpen guy. To well, me, let me ask you this. With that, do you also say, you know what, you're only going every sixth day, so if you're at 125 pitches and – I think that's part of it as well. I do think that's – you should get more out of those pitchers more consistently. But, I mean, I think with more rest, I would want to see – I'd want to see – if I were a general manager, I'd want to see the studies. I'd want to see how my pitchers – how major league pitchers perform on extra rest. Let me see who those – and then I want to break those pitchers down by type. How the taller one's done. How the left-handers done. How are the, the right-handers. sinker ballers versus – because exactly. a sinker baller might be the guy who suffers Give me all the guys that. who throw – you know, whose fastball averages this or better and this or less. You know, I would want to study that data before I made that decision. But I, I do think just because they used to use four-man rotations doesn't mean that we should use them now. Just because they – you know, just because baseball's had five-man rotations since the early, 90, you know, early to mid-70s doesn't mean that that's the best fit now with a 30-team league, the DH, and generations of metal bats. To me, you know, all the pitchers today have all grown up throwing the metal bats, and that wasn't the case 40 years ago. And there's been two generations of players, basically, who've grown up in this era, and they've all learned to pitch to metal bats. And all those hitters have learned to hit with metal bats, and it's different than it was when Don Sutton and all those guys uh, came up a long time ago. Well, Developmentally, if you go to Baseball America, you go. I think it's on the prospect. If you go under Prospect Pulse, we did a story about the six-man rotation at the start of the year. And the one other thing I wanted to add to that is developmentally that a couple of teams who do that, the Orioles did it with uh, their low A team, the Mets did it, a couple right. other teams. One of the things that was brought up was, hey, we love it. Six-man rotation. It's good for acclimating. It keeps their innings down that first year. But the other thing is, is we get two side sessions, not one between. Right. If you're working on things, if you're teaching a guy a new pitch, if you're working on delivery, things like that, they said if you're on a five-man rotation, you don't get a whole lot to work time to work on that because, understandably, I mean they've got their run day. They basically got one session for you to work with. Right. We get two, so we can almost work. We also can work on two different things. This side session, your emphasis is delivery. Right. The next one, you know what? We've been working, working on your pitch. breaking ball. You know, hey, we're going to cha- try. We're going to try a couple different grips, see if something or your change up. We're going to see if something's a little more comfortable. And yeah. you can't. I love watching pitchers throw aside. It's awesome to watch a guy throw aside. I, mean, I remember the 2010 Caldwell series, watching Garrett Cole throw aside, and what he was working on locating arm side, and then coming back to Durham, and being at a Bulls game and watching. Oh well, we're working on uh, which side of the rubber this guy's going to work on. I wrote that column, and just the, those little things, and that's that's again something to, to me, JJ, that goes to the evolution of the game and goes to the evolution of minor league coaching staffs. Where today we look in a directory, and most teams have well, all, all teams, even in the Appy League, we were at an Appy League playoff game hitting Saturday. Coach, pitching coach, don't have a hitting manager. coach exactly, and it used to be a manager. And you know, why would you want to have side sessions for your pitchers? When you didn't have a coach down there who could tell them what to do. Of course, when you didn't have extra oh. coaches, when you didn't have a pitching coach on the minor league team, that meant, okay, you're going to get your throwing in by throwing BP. That's the only time you had to throw aside. That's when you had a time to work on things. The funny thing is, so I still think in the Appy League, yeah. if you said that you're going to carry four coaches on an Appy League team, it would make sense to me because your roster is ginormous. You should have, you should have six coaches <laughs> on an Appy League team. I mean, Absolutely. Your roster I'm is not sure if you could find six guys who want to do it because you're <laughs> busting around the Appy League. But. but but your rosters and those, that's one thing I think a lot of people, if you've never gone to an Appy League or, you know, a, a, lo, a level, a GCL game, I think I've it was a lot of... a GCL game. A lot of people have... Wait met, a minute. Have I been to a GCL game? I guess not. It was an Instructs, but it wasn't a GCL game. But those levels, the rosters are so big. It's It's... The first time you go to one of those games, it's like, wow, how many 
I feel like I'm right. in spring training because right. how many guys are out there? Yeah, it's fun watching. I remember Instructs back in the day where it was like a, a 12-man lineup. And, you know, it was kind of like the Under Armour game I did last month because uh, in the ninth inning, as soon as somebody got on base, Billy Ripken just took, uh, well, Ripken, Boa, whichever one it was, took Clint Frazier and said, okay, now it's your turn to hit. <laughs> and you're going to hit now there's a man on base. Oh, you just delivered a game-tying hit? Hooray! Because <laughs> it was just flexible lineups, and that's how Instructs is, and that's how – Obviously not a GCL game, but, uh, but, that, but you have that flexibility. But going to an Appy League game, that's a that was a fun one to talk about. Now you weren't there for the Burlington uh, E Town game. I was not there for the playoff game. I, I was there at the Burlington game recently. I was not at the uh, playoffs. Playoffs were pretty good. Uh, playoffs were fun. It was fun to write about, and it was very fun to be. I think that was my first Appy League game in a couple of years because last year you and I went. We just we, I, we just got the infield. I stuck around. You, you stayed. Left. I left. I, but I, I only stayed for infield for Elizabethan. First off, JJ, you didn't get to see him this year. Pretty massive difference in Max Kepler. Well, that's 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 important to note. I don't know if I wrote enough about that. I don't think I even wrote about that at all on the blog. He had an 0 for 4 game. But what a big year the Max Kepler's had. Yes. Pretty intriguing. That kind of allows me to segue to the World Baseball Classic qualifiers if I wanted to later. But uh, we, 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 I will point out we we still have to talk Major League call up, so we okay. uh, we've promised but that. So I, I just, it was just it was eye opening to go back to a rookie league game after being you know doing mostly AAA games. The minor league games I went to this year, I don't think I went to anything other than a AAA game this year outside of that Appy League game. Now that I think about I it, I haven't been to a Double A game because I can't get to a Double A game now. But otherwise, I think I've I've covered. I don't think I went to any Sally League or Carolina. Well, we digress because you know there's probably not a whole lot of us going. Okay, let's you know let's cover the. Uh, but we'll ask you, you know, listeners, you know, which how many levels did you cover? But, um, <laughs> but the, the I did want to bring it back for a minute. Sorry to jump us around, but I did want to talk about call-ups because there have been a couple of other intriguing guys who got called up. Uh, one I wanted to bring up, who. Because I got I got some heat from people saying how is he not your minor, minor league player of the year, and I'm sorry, but Adam Eaton was not going to be our minor league player of the year. And what's interesting about that is, is I actually think I'm probably pretty high on the Adam Eaton fan club. Not that I think he's going to be a stud, but I'm very fascinated to watch Adam Eaton in you know play in the big leagues this month. Yeah, Adam Eaton's pretty fascinating. I don't think he was even really that we even seriously considered him for minor league he's, player of the year. He's not. The reality is, is the best way you could describe it is, is that there's a certain cutoff of prospect level you have to be. And did he even have a better year than these other guys? When you factor in the PCL and the offensive environment, he probably had an equivalent year to Will Myers. He was a leadoff hitter, not you know he's a top of the order hitter, not. But he did lead the minors in batting. He led it in doubles. He led it in on base percentage or a second or something. I mean. He was up there in most everything. But right. and it was Reno. I mean that's Reno's Reno is a great place to hit and a terrible place to pitch. He did do a lot of his damage on the road. Of course he also had road games in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Had, but if you even normalize it out, I think his runs created, averaged out, is pretty equivalent to Will Myers, even using park taking the park effects out of it and all. But that being said, he also is two years older than Will Myers and Again, I think with with Eaton, what you're talking about is he has to prove he's going to be more than a fourth outfielder. That's really his his. He goes to the big leagues as, "Hey, are you a fourth outfielder?" Because I think I, I think, think he's right, actually done that for me. Right. You know, that's I, not even the question for me. The first the question is: Is he a championship caliber starting player? In other words, is he going to be an everyday starter on a, on a playoff team? Which to me means he's going to be a table setter. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a leadoff hitter. I think he can be that guy. I think that's what I, was, I think. I think so too. I think he can be, and I do think you got to give a lot of credit to the Diamondbacks because the Diamondbacks have beyond. We talk about their pitching a lot. They've done a great job of finding useful big leaguers for pennies on the dollar. Adam Eaton was not a guy that you know a clear first round pick coming out of Miami, Ohio. That that was not. You know, he was he, he was, was 19th round pick. 19th round pick. Paul Goldschmidt. They've, they're good with 9th round pick, I think. They have found guys for relatively you know limited signing bonuses who have become productive big league, or at least appear to be. In Goldschmidt's case, he is a productive big league player. They, they, in appear, to case, been, they appear to be, be better at developing those kind of players than they are the Stephen Drews and Justin Uptons and Chris Young of the world. Thing. 
which is odd. They have not gotten the most. If maybe we, Bobby Valentine needs to be their manager. If we don't pay like enough attention to you, you're going to really develop. That seems to be the case. Um, it, it's odd how Jake bad Elmore, Stephen Drew turned out there. We'll ignore you. You'll turn into something. Exactly. Um, and it's odd. Um, that's one of the arguments to me against Eaton. His year was better than Jake Elmore's or Ryan Wheeler's. It wasn't that much better. No, if you hit three, I'll put it this way: if you hit, if you put up a slash line of three hundred, three fifty, four fifty, and you were on that Reno team, they were laughing at you as you were the runt of the litter who right. was like, "You're dragging us down." Right. I mean, he 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 had about a ninety points OPS better than Jake Elmore. Jake Elmore plays the infield. Maybe that is worth ninety points of OPS. I mean, I don't know how you factor that in. To me, that's why he wasn't a serious candidate for minor league player of the year because he didn't stand up. Didn't stand out above the trees for me, well, even on his own team. I, and I look, and Reno, Reno plays into this because Reno plays into this also, though, because we've seen guys, and again, we think we both think that Eaton's going to be a very could be a productive big league player. But Willie Moe had a month and a half in Reno that you would have thought if you just went off that month and a half that Willie Moe Pena was everything that people hoped Willie Moe Pena would be when he was 18. He goes to the big leagues and he's. Hey, he's still Willie Mopena. But I do think Adam Eaton, the overall minor league track record. Yeah, he's hit everywhere he's going to hit. I mean, he's he's going to hit. Um, so I, I think he will be, and I, I wonder what the role will be for him going forward in in Arizona. I think he he is one of the more fascinating September well, call-ups. Well, to the watch. role I think the role in that depends a little bit on. So, what happens with you talked about Justin Upton? Let's right. see what happens with Justin Upton in the off season. Is Justin yeah, or Upton. Chris Young. I think Chris Young's days in, in Arizona are over. And Adam Eaton brings a different dimension to their offense in that he makes a lot of contact and, and draws off. Base. And those things are just absent in their everyday outfield. So plays with energy. I'm not saying those other guys don't. Well, I will say Justin, Justin, Justin Upton does not play with energy. Generally, yeah. It's that's, like, that's, it's that's like oh, today, it's, yeah, yeah. So, but that's, and that's been... That's been consistent. That's one of those things where... Again, I don't want to harp on this too much because I think I've become a broken record on this. People were slamming Bryce Harper's makeup coming up. And the thing that was slammed, again, you could say there was maybe some immaturity there, but it was generally stuff where you say, okay, good teammate, you don't want to face him. He annoys you if you're on the other team. Justin Upton, we got we heard concerns about him when he was in the Midwest League, and the concerns were doesn't always play hard, right. doesn't run – you know what, he, he'll he hit a grounder to third, and he jogs down the line. It's like, you know, the guy bobbled it. It's the Midwest League. You might have been safe on that play. Right. That Those are the things that you have to worry, I think, a little bit more about because the effort, things like that, are tied into baseball's a grind. Yeah. You know, you he can... Just has, he just has been consistently like that over the course of his major league career, and it's been through several managers. Where Justin Upton just hasn't been consistent. He has times. He has he's had stretches. He had a year or two, Absolutely. you know, where it's like, wow, that's locked in Justin Upton. But I would hope that he doesn't get traded this off season because if I if I'm an Arizona Diamondbacks fan, I especially hope he doesn't get traded because you're selling low, and they it feels like that organization has burned some of his trade value this year by talking very publicly about those issues, but it's not like other people didn't know about those issues. Who, I mean, what other September calls are you looking forward to seeing? Like for me, a little bit higher profile prospect, but Shelby Miller. Oh, absolutely. Had a pretty poor first two-thirds of the year considering what we thought we were getting out of Shelby Miller. Then seemed like he rallied down the stretch of the absolutely. year, J.J. And, I, I think I, – And he's going into a pennant race. He's not just going in somewhere where he's and just going to go. He could, I think he could be useful for the Cardinals in the pennant race. I don't think that you're going to see a guy who falls on his face. Again, one caveat with that. The jump from AAA to the majors in pitching is, I do think, the hardest jump in baseball. Anything's more. I think it's tougher than hitting because in hitting, it yes, the pitchers are better, but there's when they talk about the strike zone even in oh, the yeah. big leagues. If you're a pitcher, it's like, oh wait, that's no longer a strike. There's so many things as a pitcher where you you go up to the big leagues and then you go, oh, wait, this doesn't work here anymore. Right. And I'm not saying there's not things that are that true that way as a hitter, but there are more of those things if you're a pitcher, uh, as I like to say. If, if it took Matt Moore half the season to figure out how to, you know, how to really pitch right. well in the big leagues, no, one's a, no one I can remember was more ready 
to hit the big leagues than Matt Moore. So that really jumps out to me about just how difficult it is. But Shelby Miller is a guy who I'm fascinated to see. I'm the Pirates. We didn't talk much about the Pirates when we were talking about the playoffs. The Pirates are uh, Pirates. I, I, Pirates fans right now have to be a little nervous. You're looking about the playoffs and you're also going, uh oh, six games up on 500, <laughs> and that's got to be a little frightening too. Getting Star, I mean, he's not a September call up, but getting Starling Marte back is something I think is uh, that's pretty huge. But to me, I mean, like they just have had so many. The the to me the problem is that they didn't. They have so many other offensive issues. Starling Marte by himself, a guy who has never really controlled the strike zone. And I love Starling Marte. Right. He, he, but that's just not a guy who has a recipe for instant success. That's where I would. That's how I would characterize. He's going to make a couple of impact plays, but he's not going to be some. His, the consistency probably is not going to be there yet. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, and, I, and I think the biggest thing for them is that I don't, I don't care what plays he makes. They need a bat. They need they need a bat. They need consistent offense from someone other than Kutch, Walker, and Pedro Alvarez. And I, you can't even put Pedro Alvarez in the consistent he, category. He gives, you can he, put him in the productive you consistent category. power. You can put him in the pro, in the productive category. He's been yeah. a productive major league right. player this year. I mean, he got fired up by your uh, scouts review, I think, preseason. But the rest of their team, Brock Holt. I don't think anyone would ever have put Brock Holt on your list of interesting call ups. And yet Brock Holt's he's playing He's very for important them. to them right now. He's crucial to them. He's, he, he's playing. He, I mean, they're in a pennant race, and Brock Holt is playing, J.J. I can't think. Have we ever ranked Brock Holt? I'm going to check the Baseball America player cards, which, of course, have, this is the first year we've had these kind of player cards at Baseball America, and they've been pretty... That, right. What he's talking about is if you haven't seen, hey, all of our rankings, if we've ever ranked you, you're on there. Yes, he is the number 27th prospect after the 2009 season. Yeah, I mean, I did not. I don't even remember Brock Holt's days at Rice. I remember coming across him in the minor leagues and going, "Oh, I don't remember this guy. He played at Rice." But Brock Holt plays for them, and they need something. You know, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. It's amazing to me. I thought I really did think the Pirates a month ago. I would have thought the Pirates had a little more staying power than the Orioles, and one of the reasons I would have thought that would have been Starling Marte, um, you know, coming up and, and helping their offense, but. I also thought there would be another move in there somewhere for Pittsburgh to make their lineup a little bit deeper. And it's just really, you know, right now it's like, oh, wait, uh, Michael McHenry isn't providing the power that we were getting earlier. Or Garrett Jones, people have figured out Garrett Jones. That seems to be what's, what's happened to Pittsburgh. Is there another uh, September call-up you were looking forward to in anticipation? Yeah, uh, so he's not going to get called up. Yeah, Billy Hamilton. They say that, that Hamilton needs a break because he's going to the fall league, so he needs to rest. Which I understand it has been a a grueling season. If you steal 155 bases, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, if you attempt more bases than anyone else has ever attempted in minor league baseball history. I think in pro baseball history, it's gotta be. Yeah, because Ricky didn't be. attempt more than that. So you've attempted more stolen bases this year than anyone ever has. I understand that's grueling. I also think if you're the Reds, and you say, okay, so the options are that we may have to pull him out of the AFL, or we. And if we think he to can help, help us, us win a World Series championship, I probably time in say, years. and I don't think Billy Hamilton would be upset about that. You know, it's okay. I'll, I'll try to help you win a World Series. It's okay if I don't get to go to the Fall League, but that's the decision they're making, and it'll appear. And they're sticking to it. It looks like. And you know, I kind of like the Nats and their uh, and their decision on Steven Strasburg. They made their decision. But they're I'll sticking say this: to it. there is more. I understand a little bit more in the Reds' case. That's a little bit more gray area to me than shutting down, not designing a system, even if you want to limit the innings. This is, again, the thing I think we've both said. It's not as much. If you wanted to hold Strasburg's innings down this year, I don't think either of us really disagree with that. I think we both disagree with being inflexible enough about it to say, yep, okay, he's going to be done, and we're planning no matter what, he's going to be done when September rolls around. Right. Figure out a way to avoid... When you were mapping that out, there should have been some way. Well, wait a second. What if we're in the pen? Okay, well, we can do this, and that way we will make sure that come October he still has innings to pitch. If we leave 15 innings on the shelf because we planned for him being ready in October and we didn't make it, no one, that's okay. The The only thing I'm looking forward to about Steven Strasburg getting shut down is that People will stop talking about Steven Strasburg getting shut down, even though I enjoy talking about Steven Strasburg getting shut down. I do feel like that's distra- detracted from the rest of the Nats' story 
um, which I think is a pretty good story. It's a, it's a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. I really think, uh, you know, kind of wrapping back to the big league stuff at the start of the year, I mean, like, they didn't – there are no real September call-ups that, that are needed there. You know, there's not anyone really they would call up who would help their big league team right now from the minor leagues other than maybe – Christian Garcia, whom they called up. That's one of the better feel-good mm-hmm. September call-ups. The former Yankees prospect has had two Tommy John surgeries. But they're pretty much set, and they have depth. I mean, there are not going to be a lot of teams in the major leagues who are going to go in the postseason with two guys on their bench, to me, who are as potent and versatile and useful as guys like Steve Lombardozzi, who's a, probably their best leadoff hitter. The reality is and Steve Lombardozzi is, is a big league regular. I think so. Who's I think he's a big not getting a chance to be a league, big league regular. And then, uh, you know, I liked him last year in the Eastern League. I like Tyler Moore quite a bit. He has eight home runs and limited playing 162 time. 162 at-bats, I believe. He's not. I, I mean, had looked at it on Bapper today. That's, that's outstanding. Reason. But he's not, I mean, he's not uh, Alan Craig. He's not that far off of that. That kind of guy. A power right-handed bat, first base, left field. He's a very useful guy to come off the bench in the playoff series. I think so. And I think, again, if you get to a World Series and you have a, a kind of guy like they that have or a Lombardozzi, they have, that's right. Their lineup will be nine deep. It won't be seven or eight deep. But that's one thing. We talked about the Braves. Actually, I guess it'll be eight deep in their catcher. We'll still have to hit. But if the Braves make the World Series, who who DHs for them? Dan Ugla. <laughs> Dan Ugla DHs, I suppose. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, that, is a, that is a problem. That, there was one last thing before we wrap I think we're we the ra- ones who think the most about that. I like thinking about that, though. But there's one last thing, though, before we wrapped up that, that you touched on, that, or you said something that triggered this with me. There's talk now about changing the 40-man I've seen rules, some of those stories. The roster expansion in September, which actually seems to make some sense to me. The idea being, okay, you would limit it to, say, like 30, and you could actually call up more guys than that, but Correct. you'd only have 30 guys that you could use. You pretty much do, uh, you basically announce your roster, whether you could do it for a game, for a week. Here's the 30 guys we're going with. I agree with that idea for all the reasons I think other people have said is that it doesn't make any sense to have pennant races decided by these expanded rosters. And I have to say the only intelligent thing I've seen Bobby Valentine say in the last month or so was someone asked him about that. And he said, well, if you're ever going to have expanded rosters, it should really be in April when people are working into game mm-hmm. shape, not in September. And that made sense. That was probably the most logical thing Valentine has actually said all the year. The interesting year. thing with that, though, is, is that the September call-ups are for a different reason. And it's really it's an artifact of an earlier time when now we have two wild card, you know, extra wild card. The reality was is that when 40-man roster, you know, we, there was a time where if you weren't within five games of first place in the uh, in the league right. in September, you were out of it. I think to me, I mean, the whole uh, – I, this would be an interesting story, the history of the 40-man call-up. But, I mean, minor league season's end before the major league season and end. So, that's one of them. It gives you a chance to evaluate those uh, guys. And like you said, most teams were out of it. So, But the thing I was going to say is is that if that's the case, though, I think 30 players is too many. Because 30 players still changes the game dramatically from what it is when it's a 25-man roster. If that's the case, you can, I, to me, you can rotate it around, but make it 27. Make it 28. You know, because 30? Well, that's an extra two guys in your pen. Yeah, most teams aren't using 40 in a game. Right. I mean, I think the no, Giants no one, used 25 in a game. No one, that was the reality is, is no one brings up. No one says, our entire right. 40-man roster, you're up. Hmm. No one brings everyone up. But 30 players means a pinch runner, which you don't normally get, a, two more guys in the bullpen, so you play more matchups, you know, okay, left, righty, lefty, and it gives you something else. That's, to me, if you said, hey, we want to keep, we want to add a little bit of development. We want to give teams a chance to work some guys in, but we don't want to change the game so much. To me, you'd have to keep it down 27 or 28. Right. Well, I mean, if, yeah, if, you, if you really the argument is we want to have games in September played by the regular rules, then you would just limit it to 25. You'd say you can carry more. You can change your 25-man roster. You don't have to send anyone down. The funny thing about that is, so what that, that means is that you would, if they, you did that, though, what teams would all of a sudden do because they're not going to pay major league minimums for they would they would end up carrying twenty six or twenty seven. One would imagine yes, and and, and that would defeat the purpose to an extent. I think the other thing is again, when back when you when this started, whenever it started, it didn't ha- you didn't have Arizona Fall League, you didn't have as developed instructional leagues. 
to me. You didn't have especially you didn't have the fall league. You didn't, you didn't have, have big, organized minor leagues. As you, much. you didn't have minor leaguers who didn't go home, and you didn't have major leaguers who went home in the off season and didn't do anything. They all had jobs in the off season, so it's a very different environment. Certainly, right? I, I'm not against my personally. I'm not. I, I don't have a huge problem with 40 man roster games in September. It doesn't bother me. I don't feel like it cheapens the integrity of the pennant race. You know, really, what it's become it now doesn't bother me. Part of what it's become, if you said you wanted to change a rule that cheapens the rules, it's you need to close the loophole. Because really, what September happens now is, is September is a tryout for the guy who comes up September first, right. and you go, "Hey, this guy can help us in the playoffs." That's right. And we can get him on the roster. Which the idea was is that you had to actually dance with the team that you brought into right. August thirty first. That's right. not true anymore. Correct. So that, uh, that's a bigger problem to me than, that is than the, September call ups and. Um, Thank you, Francisco Rodriguez. That was the uh, that's right. The that K was the Rod guy. Rule. The K Rod rule. It does feel like uh, that lo- loophole is very difficult to close. A lot of those rules changes. JJ always end up with unintended consequences. But uh, it's a pretty easy rule to close in that you just take the you say you know what no if you wasn't if you were not by if you had not played in the big leagues by September first of that year you're not right, eligible. But just I'm just going to say here's the reason it's not that simple. If you've been healthy. If you've been a major league team that's been healthy, say you're the Reds, mm-hmm. through August 31st, they'd use, what, 14 pitchers, mm-hmm. 15 pitchers? You can't, you're, not, you're telling me that it's, that it's inconceivable that you, you could have four injuries to pitchers, especially in September, and you're limited like that? And then I, 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 I would think, even say you allow the commissioner that there can be special dispensations. That, that's, that's the only reason. I would rather have the rule be flexible right. and abused every once in a while rather than have – the commissioner have magical pixie yeah, dust I powers. I, I mean, I can so see that's that. the argument for the current rule, even though it does get exploited. Again, to me, I get tired of just all the whining about the rules. Just, you know, you play to win the game. So we started with some football talk. We're ending with a little football yeah, talk. You play to win that's the it. game. J.J. talks Steelers at J.J. Coop 36. He also talks I baseball. Talk, I mainly you talk. talk a lot more baseball than you talk Steelers. But if you are a Steelers fan, J.J. talks Steelers at J.J. Coop 36. I won't talk about my fantasy football team at all at John Manuel BA, I promise. For JJ, I'm John. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.